Again, turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1 if you're not already there. If I rushed you before the prayer, you got time. Uh, This morning we're continuing a brand new study through the book of Ephesians. Today we're looking at part two of an intro to Ephesians. Our main text is Ephesians chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. We're going to read those two verses as we get into our study this morning. And so Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. And if you didn't bring a Bible, grab one off the welcome table there. Paul writing, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As I said last week to start our time, it's important for us to spend time looking at the the background and context and purpose of the letter that we're getting into so that we better understand um, what we're going to be studying, what God would have to say to us, help provide us with the right perspective even as we approach the scriptures we're getting into in the book of Ephesians. And so last week, in part of doing that, we looked at who this letter was written by who it was written to, we began looking at what we know about the the city of Ephesus and how the church in Ephesus got started, who some of these people were, what they were dealing with that Paul's going to be writing to in the book of Ephesians. And we did that by looking at the first 10 verses of Acts chapter 19, but we're going to continue to learn about the city and people of Ephesus, the work God did in Ephesus, which is going to help us see the book of Ephesians with the right perspective, because as we read some of the things that Paul's going to speak into in his letter, it's helpful for us to understand, like, what were these people facing? What was the spiritual climate there in the city of Ephesus that when Paul's writing some of these things, why would that mean something? Why would, why would that be so significant for, that, for them to gain from Paul when Paul has such a strong emphasis on unity between Jew and Greek, why, why would that make, you know, we might not kind of understand at face value what that would mean for us, but in that day to, uh, for him to go, God's made you one, this is this, this, there's this amazing mystery that was kind of not known in the past, but God has revealed in the present that, that Gentiles would become a part of the family of God, they would gain an inheritance with the people of God and become one people, a holy nation, as we saw in First Peter. That there's these different people groups coming together that before would have been divided socially, ethnically, economically even, and be able to become one people in Jesus. To know why Paul would write and dedicate so much time in Ephesians 6 to this aspect of spiritual warfare. That they were dealing with such dark, demonic sorts of things in their day and in their city. That they would need to be equipped with these things from the Lord. It's helpful for us to kind of gain insight into the people, the believers who made up the church in Ephesus to see that these people are like you and me. Right? They're not this monastic sort of people that Paul's writing to who didn't deal with any real life sorts of issues. 
They're just like us. And I don't know about you, but that's helpful for me. That's, that's encouraging for me to come to this letter and go, this is, this is for me today. This is for you. And, so, and that's part of why we're, we're spending so much time here in the beginning, because we have plenty of time here to get into the book of Ephesians here in the coming weeks and months. So we've started the jumping off point here, Ephesians chapter 1. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts 19 again. We did last week. We're going to spend the rest of our time here this morning in verses 11 through 20. Just to remind you of a few things here. Ephesus, if you're not familiar, maybe you missed our study last week. It was the the capital of the Roman province of Asia Minor. This was modern-day Turkey. Ephesus was located on the west coast. It was located on the Aegean Sea, the mouth of a river. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was a major commercial center in that day. So economically, there was a lot going on. It was home to one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. This was the Temple of Artemis, or also known as the Temple of Diana. This Greek god worshipped the goddess of fertility and magic and astrology. And so right away, just knowing this prominent, uh, not just place, but prominent sort of religious structure and environment and, and sort of spirituality, if we want to put it in those terms for the city of Ephesus, knowing that it's magic, fertility, which means there's this emphasis on sexuality, and then um, astrology, that man, there was a lot going on here. There was a lot that these people were involved in, probably from the moment they were born. This is how they grew up. We've got these magic books in our house. We go to the temple. Maybe people we know go and deal with these cult prostitutes. Maybe in, in our home there's a normal thing or in our community of of astrology. And this was just the norm for them. This is what they, these believers, many of them were being saved out of. And because of uh, the, the practice of magic there in Ephesus, the, the phrase Ephesian writings was as, as, a, as a popular phrase that described Any document that contained magic formulas and spells, and again was known as a place of great demonic activity. So, how many of you right away are going, man, like I'd really like to raise my family there if I had lived there in those days? Sounds pretty solid. Sounds like a really great place. You're like, wow, it kind of sounds like the Bay Area. Kind of sounds like some of these places in our world where we're going like, people are just, how can I get away quicker? How can I move to somewhere else? And Paul's going like, God wants to do something here. And he did. He did something through Paul's ministry. He was doing something there in the early church, uh, there in Ephesus. And, and again, the, the historical and cultural context is helpful, helpful for us, not just to know the kind of city that Paul's ministering to here in Acts 19, um, 
but but also because you know it, it helps us to see kind of what these people were facing, what they were dealing with, what, what they were being saved out of, what kind of environment they were living out their faith in, because these people were not just living up on a hill in a cave somewhere. This was this was their interactions and daily living. This was the people that they maybe worked with or worked across from in the marketplace. Family members that were still steeped in all of this. So we, last week, we, we gained some insight into a couple examples of Paul's ministry to the disciples there in his second missionary journey, sorry, his third missionary journey in Ephesus, how these disciples were equipped through the word. They were empowered by the Spirit. We, we saw his ministry in a, a synagogue there in Ephesus for three months. Didn't seem very fruitful, right? Because eventually at the end of those three months, it's like, man, they just hardened themselves. They started speaking against the name of Jesus, the people of Jesus. So Paul's like, hey, we're going to remove ourselves from here. Not remove ourselves from engagement with the culture, but let's go set up a, a place of ministry somewhere else where we'll have greater freedom to get God's word out. And so Paul finds this lecture hall, most likely, that belonged to uh, some sort of a Greek philosopher. We're told it was the Hall of Tyrannus. I won't make the Star Wars joke again there in Ephesus. And, and God's word began to spread. It spread throughout all of Asia Minor, all of that area of Turkey. Not because Paul was the one going out and he's just Paul's footing it and he's getting out there and he's getting into every home and the believers were going out. They're being fed the word of God. They're being ministered to through the scriptures. They're being equipped by the Lord and then empowered by the spirit. And they're just, we don't even know if they're, they didn't like look for permission from Paul. Like, hey, Paul, is it okay if I go out? They're like, I just want other people to know about Jesus because he's changed my life. And so they just start going. They're going out. And all of Asia Minor, Jew and Greek, heard the word of the Lord. And, and sort of with that backdrop, we come into our verses this morning. We're going to see how the work and word of God was, was invading. It was taking back sort of enemy territory, delivering and transforming lives of unbelievers purifying the lives of believers and how the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified in this spiritually dark city of Ephesus. And so with that in mind, verses 11 and 12 here of Acts 19, where you pick up verse 11. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, which of course maybe for some of us goes, so tell me what the usual miracles are like. God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs, his sweat rags, or his aprons, his workman's smock, were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. I like what William Barclay said about verse 11. I don't like everything that William Barclay believed or taught, but this was a good quote. Verse 11, uh, about verse 11, he said this. He said, 
it is very significant that the narrative does not say that Paul did these extraordinary deeds. It says that God did them through Paul's hands. It has been said that God is everywhere looking for hands to use. We may not be able to work miracles with our hands, but without doubt, he says, we can give them to God so that he may work through them. You ever thought about the things that God uses in your life? You may look at your life and go, I don't know that there's anything God would use. What could I present to him? He's God. What does he need of mine? Stuff. What does he need of my life? What would he do with my hands? I know my life. I know who I am. I know my past. God, what could I present to you that you could use? And you know what's amazing is that God will use really almost anything that we'll bring to him and consecrate for his purposes. And it might be the smallest thing. But God can use the smallest things to bring about the biggest impact for his kingdom and in the lives of people. He's looking for hands to use. Maybe you guys have heard of Nick Vujicic. I'm probably slaughtering his last name. Born with no arms and no legs. This doesn't exclude Nick. Well, he doesn't have hands. He doesn't have feet. He doesn't have legs. You know what he does have? He has a voice. God's used that man incredibly to get the gospel out to people, giving him an amazing platform. Well, you know what? I don't have a voice even. Maybe for someone, they're mute. God has given us things. He's entrusted things to us. We have a sphere of influence. Even if it's just one person that he's put in our lives, God has given us something to use for his kingdom and glory. And I believe, just as William Barclay said, God is everywhere looking for hands, so to speak, to use. But are we giving them over to him? Are we saying, God, just whatever I have, whatever you've made me, whatever you've done in my past, God, whatever you're doing in the present, Whatever I have, even, in possessions, God, it's all for you to use. You do whatever you will. That we'd consecrate our lives wholly to the Lord so that he may work through us. I don't even know if Paul was, we don't see that Paul was giving these things to people. Like handing them out. Here's my handkerchief. Go ahead and use it. Here's my smock. Throw it on somebody. I think Paul's just working. He's living life. He's wiping his brow. He sets something down. Some dude or lady comes by like, oh, I saw him wipe his sweat off. And just steals it, maybe even. Takes it. Paul turns around. The thing's gone. How many smocks did Paul go through? And handkerchiefs. But Paul's just, just living life. He's seeking to live for the Lord. And God was working unusual miracles through him. Why were these people taking these things? Why were they using things? Well, they, 
They saw the power of God at work and in through Paul's life. They believed somehow that even the, the wipe rags or the workman's smock that was connected to Paul could be used by God to heal sickness and drive out demons. And this was not because there was teaching to support this. That would tell them that if they did that, then others would be healed because that wasn't the case. But just like the woman who had that flow of blood that was healed when she touched the hem of Jesus' garment, just like with those who in Acts 5 brought out the sick, hoping that at least the shadow of Peter might fall on them to heal them, here we see people acting in faith. Yes, there seems to be some superstition along with it but acting in faith on things that they really had no confidence about from any sort of teaching from Jesus or the apostles would, would even do what they hoped it would do. And yet God in his grace and mercy met them in their place of faith and we find that diseases left those who were sick and that evil spirits, demons, went out of those who were possessed. Understand this, this account of what God did through Paul is not meant to be a pattern for us to seek to replicate. Is it meant to be the norm of how God is wanting to work or how we're to seek to see God work? Because even these things were considered unusual miracles that God worked through the Apostle Paul's life and ministry. But, but though we might not see these sorts of unusual miracles today, which doesn't mean that they don't happen or can't still happen. There are miracles that God works in and around our lives all the time that we don't even regard as miracles because they just seem too ordinary. They're too usual. And yet, let me tell you, it's still the same power of God at work. Because that word miracles in verse 11 is the Greek word Dunamis, that uh, verse that I quoted to you at the end of our study last week in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That word power in Acts 1, verse 8 is that Greek word dunamis. It's the same word miracles here. It's power, the power of God. Paul is going to use this same Greek word five times in the book of Ephesians. God worked in power there in Ephesus in Acts 19 through Paul's life and ministry. God did it. In a handful of years or so later, as Paul wrote his letter to them, he, he, he's going to make it clear that it was God who was still working by his power in their lives. And, and God is still working by his power in our lives today, and we praise him for that. I guess picture Paul as he's writing to the Ephesian believers and he's talking about power. Maybe in some of their minds they're going, I remember that situation. I remember when people were grabbing Paul's stuff and taking them and 
and people were being healed or delivered by the power of God. And then they read Paul's letter where he's saying that God is working his power through his spirit. And it's interesting that even in his letter, Paul doesn't reference miraculous happenings when he references the power of God in his letter, he's talking about things that God is doing in us inwardly. That God, by his spirit, would work power in our inward man, or inward woman, that, that real us, that no one else truly knows, that no one else can see, that God sees. That real you and me, when we're alone, that real you and me in our deepest, darkest places, that God's going, I have power that I want to work by my spirit there in, in who you are, in who I'm transforming you to be. My power is doing it. You didn't need Paul. You don't still need Paul to see God's power at work. I've got my spirit for you. And what does that mean for you and me when we read the letter of Ephesians and we're going, but we don't have an apostle walking around. We don't have Paul's handkerchief. We don't have his smock. We've got the spirit of God. What are you and me looking for? Because still today, people are looking for the object. That's why religious shysters are on social media and different things, and they'll send you their prayer mat for $49.99. Every prayer you have will be answered. The blessings of God. You give them 10 bucks, it'll come back to you tenfold. Don't buy into that junk. You don't need them or something from them, you have the Lord. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you've been sealed with the Spirit of God, God has given you everything in Christ Jesus. So much so. You and I are so blessed spiritually that in the book of Ephesians, he's going to say, positionally, you and I are seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And we're like, but I'm here now. How does that all work out? We'll get to it in the book of Ephesians. But know that God is sufficient for you and me. His power is still at work today. He's still moving, and it might not seem unusual, but don't miss those usual, normal sort of things that is still a miracle. You know, the moment someone becomes becomes taken from being dead in sin and trespasses to being alive in Jesus Christ, you know that's a miracle because you and I can't make that happen. God's still working miracles. And I'm not just talking about in salvation. Yes, he'll, he still heals today. He's still delivering today. He's still working by his power. He still provides miraculously today. God's still doing all of that. But maybe for some of us, we're looking for something. We need some sort of a connecting point in our faith. Just look to Jesus. Just trust in his word. Just be confident in the spirit of God in your life that he is working by his power presently in you and me. Amen? You're like, well, you're telling me to say amen, so I'm gonna say it, but I don't feel very confident about it. Be confident in the Lord today. 
we're not even going to get through all this. Let's keep going. With the mention of evil spirits, Luke goes on to record in verses 13 through 16 how others were seeking to imitate the power of God that was working through Paul's life. And so verse 13 It says, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Anybody else feel like that's just one of the most ridiculous things that you've ever read? I heard someone else talk about this Jesus guy. So I'm going to exercise you by him. I don't know Jesus personally. But Paul Paul uses his name. So let's just go for it. Let's try this thing out. These these guys, itinerant, meaning like traveling, this is kind of their thing, this is what we do. We're exorcists. They'd heard what was happening. They, they must have heard about the handkerchiefs and the aprons. Those who were demon-possessed being freed from demonic uh, possession. Heard Paul was preaching uh, about and calling on the name of Jesus. And so they called on the name of Jesus too. But there's a problem. They were calling the name of the Lord Jesus as a point of authority to drive out evil spirits, but they had never called on the name of the Lord Jesus personally to save them. They had never surrendered or bowed their knees to Jesus and his authority as Lord of their own lives personally. They were using Jesus' name as some sort of a magical phrase to hopefully give them authority over demons Because they saw that Paul, who was always preaching Jesus, had a power that they did not have. And again, the the disconnect was so huge. They didn't even call the name of Jesus directly, but just said, it's the Jesus whom Paul preaches. So they knew Paul preached Jesus. They understood that the name of Jesus was central to Paul's preaching and ministry. And they they came to the conclusion that there must have been power In the name of Jesus, but as we're going to see, they lack the power of Jesus in their own lives. And so verse 14 goes on to say, Also, there were seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? I wasn't expecting you to talk back to me. (laughs) Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. I bet each of these guys is really thankful that their their names were not included in this account. We exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. The demon answers, Jesus I know, that word in the Greek meaning to know by interaction and experience. Paul I know, a different Greek word there, meaning to know about, to understand, to be aware of. But who are you? 
The demons knew Jesus. Uh, Of course they did. He is God. He's the one who created them as angelic beings before they followed after Lucifer in his pride and rebellion. They knew about Paul who caused havoc for them as God worked through his life and brought people out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. But they didn't know and had no fear of these Jewish exorcists. And after making that statement, asking that question, the the demon-possessed man jumped on them, overpowered them, beat them up so badly that they had to flee. They, They had to escape from the house and they did so naked and wounded. I wonder if Paul had this situation in mind of the seven sons of Siva being overpowered, beaten up by the demon-possessed man, fleeing naked when he wrote to the believers in Ephesus in Ephesians 6 about putting on the whole armor of God. These people, these guys were not protected. Clothed in the armor of God. Armor, protection to be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil, saying that we're to take up the whole armor of God, that we may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. You know, there's not just blessings for us in Christ, not just protection spiritually for us in Christ, but also strength, power, and stability for us in Jesus. These sons of Siva lacked all of that. But, but God's gonna use the failure of these exorcists to actually magnify the name of Jesus as the situation becomes known throughout Ephesus, as we're gonna see in the next verses here. Verse 17 says, This became known to both uh, became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. What's amazing is that this situation becoming known didn't cause the people of Ephesus to come to the conclusion that Jesus' name had no power, or that Jesus had no real authority over the demonic realm. No, it actually caused great fear, great awe, great reverence to fall on them and that awe actually led to the to the name of the Lord Jesus being magnified where was his name magnified it was magnified in this city where previous to this you know what name was magnified Artemis Diana that's who people talked about and now all of a sudden it's Jesus's name that's being exalted, his name that's being talked about, his name that's becoming famous throughout the city of Ephesus. And this doesn't mean all the Jews and Greeks who heard about this came to a saving knowledge of Jesus, although some must have. And in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul makes a major emphasis on how Again, God has brought together both Jews and Greeks as one, united in Christ Jesus. But what we find happening here is that the name of the Lord Jesus became even greater, even more awesome in the minds of those who heard what had happened. Why was the name of the, why was the, name of the Lord Jesus being magnified? Well, because 
that's who Paul was about. That's who these early believers, that's who these believers at Ephesus were about. They were about Jesus. So the rest of the people who heard about this situation were able to conclude that the problem wasn't who Paul preached about. It wasn't, a, wasn't Jesus. It wasn't because Jesus' name, his authority lacked power to deliver from demonic possession, but that the problem was solely with the Jewish exorcists who thought that they had the magic recipe, the magic phrase, but lacked knowing Jesus personally. And added to the Jews and Greeks being in awe because of that situation, which led to the name of the Lord Jesus being magnified, we see that God used that situation in the lives of many of the believers in Ephesus as well. Look at what we're told in verses 18 and 19. It says, verse 18, And many who had believed came, confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, uh, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Many who had believed in Jesus, as we talked about earlier, had come out of occult practices. Practices that had their source in the demonic realm, but were commonplace in the lives of, of many in the city of Ephesus. And I, I just want to add to that really quickly because of the day and age that we find ourselves in and sort of the, um, the way that some have tried to... Um, bring in um, secular or demonic even things into their lives as believers or into the church. Um, astrology is, is, is sourced in the demonic realm. Spirit mediums, tarot card readings, uh, these magical sorts of books, trying to bring in... Um, uh, someone, I read an article even that this uh, a pastor was talking about how they've been, been increasingly hearing people call themselves a Buddhist Christian. Uh, you can't bring in these things that are void of truth and, and try to, let's just try to work them into our present Christianity. Those things have their source in, in, the, in the occult. Why would we bring things of Satan into our lives as believers and think that somehow we can redeem these things, that they can somehow benefit our lives spiritually when there's so much found in the Bible telling us not to be a part of that, to not have that, have any sort of place, the works of darkness, that we're not to participate in them. These people have been saved out of the, the things of darkness, but for some of them hadn't maybe realized the false, deceptive, dangerous nature of continuing in those things now that they were saved and God was working in their lives to help them make a full break away from those things. And maybe for some others later on who got saved after Paul had already departed from 
Ephesus and, and saved out of these same sorts of occult practices, saved out of that realm of darkness where they were slaves to sin and Satan, that maybe they needed to make sort of a complete break from those things of their old lives too. I can imagine that being the case. And Paul wrote to them in Ephesians 5 that they were once darkness, but now they were light in the Lord. Paul writing to them in Ephesians 5 saying, um, to walk as children of light and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. We see in our verses that God used these circumstances to reveal to them that those things were not to have any sort of place in their lives any longer now that they belong to Jesus. And so these Ephesian believers came confessing and telling their deeds. David Gutzik about this wrote and said, it is significant that these practitioners of magic came confessing and telling their deeds. It was thought that the power of these magic spells was in their secrecy, which was renounced in the telling. So as long as no one else knew their magical phrase, their magical spell, all their power stayed intact. But as soon as they talked about it openly, it, it was robbed of every single bit of power. And can we just see what God is doing through this? Those hidden things that, that actually ne- had no power at all to begin with. They were deceived into thinking there's some true power here in these spells. That God is going, no, actually the power that they had was over your life to keep you in darkness, to keep you in bondage. And what they realized, not because Paul was walking around going, tell me what you did, tell me all your junk, tell me everything that you've done. The Spirit of God convicting them in in their inward being, they're going, this thing that's been kept secret, I'm going to declare it openly. I'm not going to let this thing have power, not just in my life as this secret thing that's really sourced in the satanic realm, but I'm going to confess it openly so that it has no power over my life personally any longer. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to tell what I've been into. I've been, I'm going to tell what I've been doing. I'm going to tell about it because I don't want the enemy to have any sort of hold in my life. And you know what happens when you and I keep things secret, we keep it hidden, we try to tuck it away, we try to manage our sin? We're just giving the enemy a foothold to just keep us in that place of bondage, to keep us in that place where where we find ourselves in this cycle of like, okay, I'm doing really good. I think I'm walking in victory and then you're back and the failure happens again because you're trying to do it on your own. There's no real, we're lacking that sort of healing that James talks about in James 5 where he says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. For some of us, that's the scariest verse in all of scripture. What are you talking about, James? Why? Why? Would I confess my sins 
to somebody else. I don't want people to know what I'm doing. But as we bring those things into the light, we rob them of their power. We invite another believer into our life to walk alongside us and pray for us and and keep us accountable and bring encouragement so that we do find the healing that the Bible speaks into. A healing where we're not trapped to those things. We don't have things swept under a rug. We don't have this secret closet we're just hoping no one ever finds out about. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed, but some of us walk with like a weight shackled to our ankle and God's going, what are you doing? I paid the price for you to be free from all of that. Walk in the freedom. The conviction of the Spirit of God drove these believers to tell what they had been involved with, renouncing those things that had stayed hidden, which led to them repenting, turning away from, and not just repenting, but destroying those things openly that were damaging them spiritually as many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together, burned them in the sight of, of all, it was a public forsaking of the things that they knew had no place in their lives privately or publicly any longer. And can you imagine the witness it was? I mean, think about it. When we, if we total up like what the silver was, if like every single person just had a minimum wage job at that time, just a daily wage worker. At the lowest estimate, $6 million worth of magical books. What? An, I mean, this isn't like in someone's backyard where like no one in public knew that it happened. This is like a huge hire that the unbelievers in the city would have looked at and gone, what in the world are these people doing? Do they know how expensive that all is? Why would they get rid of that? Not only were these believers being freed from these things that had been kept dark and in in the hidden places, but they were also being given open doors and opportunities to be a witness through this. They weren't trying to manage their sins. They were repenting of them. Surrendering those things to the Lord. Burning them completely so that none of it would remain. None of it would have a foothold in their lives anymore. You know, maybe that's a word for some even today. Some that have been trying to manage their sin. You've never been told this before. It's not anything new. You can't. You can't manage your sin. When you try to manage your sin, your sin will manage you. The right response here is the same as these people. Confession, repentance, renouncing, and getting rid of it. Not giving it away to somebody else so that they get trapped by it. Like, let that thing burn. 
This was not a light thing. This was not a, a flippant thing for these believers to take part in, rejecting these things of darkness, their old occult practices, the books that used to hold such a significant place in their lives. Uh, no matter how great the cost was to them personally and financially, it's clear they just wanted to make a complete break from those things that Jesus had saved them out of. And these believers are such a great example for you and me today. Because for some of us, God might be calling us to make a complete break from something. He might have already been, before we even walked in here today, been convicting us about something, and we've just been making excuses for it. And God's going, why are you staying there? Why are you letting that thing hang on? Why are you walking around as a free man with a weight shackled to your ankle, a free woman with a weight shackled to your ankle? Don't remain in anything that Jesus shed his blood to set you free from. But our final verse, verse 20, as we come to a close here. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. This is the description of what the Lord was doing in the lives who lived in Ephesus. The word of the Lord was increasing. It was prevailing mightily. Jesus' name was magnified. People were renouncing. They were repenting. They were rejecting things of darkness in a public and powerful way. And as a result of all these things, God's word grew. It increased mightily and prevailed in this spiritually dark area and the lives of many, and as the Bible Knowledge Commentary put it, the, the cleansed church became a powerful and growing church. The problem oftentimes is we want the power, we want the growth, but we lack both because we don't want to submit to the Lord's cleansing. We don't want to have to renounce and confess things that we'd rather stay hidden. We don't want to have to repent and lay on the bonfire, so to speak, the things We've given too much value to that are actually damaging us in our fellowship with Jesus. And I love that as we consider just who these people were, what, what God was doing here, that years later, Paul's going to write and go, man, I'm still hearing great things. God's doing great things. And you know, we can... Sometimes as the worship team comes back up, we could sometimes feel like, what, what's God doing? I don't really see God's word prevailing. <laughs> looks like the darkness is prevailing. It looks like the word of God is being silenced. But let's just take a moment here for a second. When, when the Bible says about itself, that the word of God will endure forever. It doesn't matter how dark things can look on this side of heaven. God is still working. Jesus is still on the throne. His gospel is still going out. Lives are still being saved. People are still being transformed. He's still looking for hands to use. And God's got us here. Whose name do we see everywhere? Diablo. 
right? It's everywhere. Diablo Motor Works and Diablo this and Diablo. I'm not, I'm not, I don't even know about that business, but. But the name of Jesus in a spiritually dark place being magnified, what would that look like here? Because I believe God's wanting to do that here, now, with us, through us. Consecrated hands, what has he given to you? What's the testimony that he's given you? What what has Jesus saved you out of? What is he doing in your life presently? God has given you opportunity. He's given me opportunity. And he's going, I want to work. I want to work. And he is working by his power. And so, Lord, we just thank you for your word this morning. God, thank you that you're still moving by your power. Lord, we don't need some object. We don't need some spiritual figure blessing something for us. We have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. The third person of the triune Godhead. We have you, Lord. And God, by your power, you're working in us. Working in us, Lord, and wanting to work through us. And so, God, in our spiritually dark days, in this spiritually dark area that, Lord, we find ourselves in, God, would we take heart? God, would we be filled with hope that, Lord, you're not done? You're still working. You're still saving, Lord. You're still transforming. And God, you're wanting to use us, that we would be people who magnify the name of Jesus, both with our words and with our lives. And so, Lord, would you use us, Lord? We, this morning, and maybe for some of us, just as a gesture to you, Lord, we'd hold out our hands, just say, Lord, here's, here's, here's my life, Lord. Here's my hands, God, here's me. Lord, if you're looking for hands to use, Lord, here's mine. God, if you're looking for lives to be consecrated to you, Lord, here's mine. God, use me for your kingdom and glory. But if there's anybody here this morning and you don't first just have a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ, you know about Jesus, you've just heard about him. But maybe you've never invited him, asked him to be your savior, your Lord, to forgive you of your sins, to save you. Know this morning the Lord is wanting to meets you where you're at. He's not looking for you to have perfect faith. None of us have perfect faith on this side of heaven, but our faith is being perfected. It's being refined. It's growing. But maybe this morning you're going, I need Jesus. Would you raise your hand if that's you so I can pray for you? Anyone at all, you're going, I want my sins forgiven. 
I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Anybody at all? God, you know the state of people's hearts. You know even maybe later on someone's listening to this, they're going, that's me. If I was present, I'd be raising my hand even now. Maybe someone online, you're just going, that's me. I just encourage you in your heart to say, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I put my faith in you today. Jesus, I repent of my sin. I am a sinner, and I need your forgiveness. And so, Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me of all my unrighteousness. Be my Savior and Lord. Seal me with your Holy Spirit. Make me a new creation in Christ Jesus. Jesus, I surrender my life to you today. I just encourage you, if you've done that, the Bible says you will be saved. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says you will be saved. And so, Lord, this morning, we just want to respond to your word in songs of praise. Maybe for some of us, God, we need to confess things this morning. We need to repent of things this morning. God, would we not leave this place hardening ourselves, Lord, to your convicting work? But God, would we submit? Would we humble ourselves? And God, would you meet us where we're at and do something radical in us, Lord? Your power at work. So, Father, we thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.